The Impossible Dream of George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Ben Franklin, and Alexander Hamilton. The Monday Morning Memo for September 26th, 2016. September 17th, 1787. When George Washington saw the Constitution of the United States of America finally adopted after four months of intense debate in Philadelphia's Pennsylvania State House, he immediately went to a bookstore and paid 22 shillings sixpence for a copy of Don Quixote de la Mancha. According to MountVernon.org, this 17th century Spanish allegory does seem a somewhat unusual choice for the pragmatic farmer, soldier, and statesman. An explanation for the apparently uncharacteristic purchase can be found within Washington's correspondence. We'll look at that correspondence in a moment, but I believe a statement made by screenwriter Aaron Sorkin offers an equally insightful glimpse into the mind of George Washington in that historic moment when the Constitution was complete and our great American experiment had begun. I tend to write very romantically and idealistically, so the characters that I write are going to be kind of quixotic, and they're going to fail a lot and fall a lot. But you know, there's a romance in trying for honorable things. Aaron Sorkin, June 29th, 2015. Don Quixote had been a topic of conversation a few evenings earlier in the home of Benjamin Franklin. We know this because on November 9th, 1787, Washington received a Spanish copy of Don Quixote from Spanish ambassador Diego Maria de Gardoqui with a note. Requesting you would accept and give a place in your library to the last Spanish edition of Don Quixote, which I recollect to have heard you say, Dr. Franklin's, that you had never seen it. I could have wished it was in English for your particular entertainment, but it being reckoned the very best edition of that celebrated work and one in which everything has been manufactured in Spain induces me to request your acceptance. We don't know why they were talking about Quixote that night in the home of Benjamin Franklin. But Indy Beagle tells me it went something like this. Washington. We are drawing near to an agreement. I believe we may have a constitution within the week. Franklin, shaking his head slowly as he gazes down absently at the table. I look at the future and wonder if we are victorious champions of the good or bumbling fools who have convinced themselves they are something they are not. Spanish Ambassador Gardiki, smiling. You have read the Quixote? Franklin, nods yes and smiles a weak smile. Washington. Although Jefferson and Adams speak continuously of this book, I cannot say I've read it. Roy, you're thinking, are you seriously expecting me to believe that our founding fathers were Quixote nuts like you? The Thomas Jefferson Encyclopedia at Monticello.org says... Don Quixote was one of the few works of fiction that Thomas Jefferson was clearly partial to. He used the text in its original language to learn Spanish and had his children do the same. Jefferson owned a number of different editions over his lifetime. Monticello.org also lists 18 pieces of Jefferson's personal correspondence in which Quixote is mentioned during the 51 years from 1771 to 1822. So yes... When a person speaks and writes about Don Quixote for 51 years, I usually print that person's name in large letters in the Quixote nut column. These are the big ideas presented in Don Quixote. 1. A beautiful dream is worth believing in, even when others think you are crazy. 2. 
A beautiful dream is worth fighting for, even when you lose. Three. A beautiful dream is worth pursuing, even if it never comes true. Four. The possibility remains that your beautiful dream might turn out to be folly. John Adams was Thomas Jefferson's friend and nemesis, and he was obsessed with Quixote as well. In David McCullough's Pulitzer Prize-winning book on Adams, we read, Another child, Thomas Boylston, was born in September of 1772. And again, Adams was off on the vagabond life of the circuit, carrying a copy of Don Quixote in a saddlebag and writing Abigail sometimes as many as three letters a day. Alexander Hamilton's copy of Don Quixote was published in Amsterdam in 1755 by Arkstay et Mercus. In his letter to Rufus King, dated February 21, 1795, Hamilton wrote, To see the character of the government and the country so sported with, exposed to so indelible a blot, puts my heart to the torture. Am I then more of an American than those who drew their first breath on American ground? Or what is it that thus torments me at a circumstance so calmly viewed by almost everybody else? Am I a fool, a romantic quixot, or is there a constitutional defect in the American mind? David Brooks is a political and cultural commentator who writes for the New York Times. Aaron Sorkin is a screenwriter. His films include A Few Good Men, The American President, Charlie Wilson's War, The Social Network, Moneyball, and Steve Jobs. His television series include The West Wing, Sports Night, Studio 60, and The Newsroom. Brooks. Okay, I'm struck by the deep Americanness of this hour. It's a country of energy, ambition, and I mean even Walter has in his biography of Franklin this discussion how ambivalent we are about ambition, and there is the ambition of him, there is the ambition of Lincoln, but then I think, though, your characters, whether Zuckerberg, Billy Bean, Jobs, Charlie Wilson, there are people with outlandish ambitions, out of proportion to what might be expected of them in their role. Sorkin. Yeah, again, I just find that very romantic. Brooks. Yeah. And it all goes back to Don Quixote, this guy who felt like he was living in a world that was just a little, had gone over the edge of incivility and crudeness. And he was a scrawny old man who was experiencing dementia, and he decided that you can be a knight if you just behave like one. A scrawny old man decided that you can be a knight if you just behave like one. You can be a knight if you just behave like one. If you just behave like one. Roy H. Williams. And don't forget, if you want to delve into these stories even more, there are quite a lot of footnotes in the online version of the memo today. Just go to mondaymorningmemo.com, look in the archives for the memo for September 26th, 2016, scroll to the bottom of the page, and start looking up those links. Aru. And also, small town, big money. Ken Lane and his wife, Lisa, are cultivating respectable profits from Waters Garden Center, their family business in Prescott, a city of about 40,000 people in the mountainous area of central Arizona. A graduate of Wizard Academy, Ken relies on marketing tools like radio, YouTube, on-site classes, and rock'em, sock'em customer service to beat back his big-box competitors. 
Roving reporter Rothbart says Ken has a money green thumb. Listen as Ken explains how a small business in a small town can plant and harvest big profits. That's how we roll at mondaymorningradio.com.